yeah, so you can start by introducing yourself and then we can start talking. Um, well, I, my name's Leo Zilig. I'm a, um, a socialist and a um, researcher, and I've recently published a, uh, a book, a revolutionary for our time, about Walter Rodney, the life of Walter Rodney. Yeah, excellent. And so I, I really uh, regard Walter Rodney really highly. I actually just finished reading um, The Russian Revolution, A View from the Third World, and I, I was doing a, a project on a uh, course here at, at Cornell that I'm taking. And I want to talk to you about the lost text that you kind of, I guess, discovered and, and brought to light of um, 100 years of development in Africa. But with that, I guess, first to begin, like kind of the background of it and, and how how it came back to the light, I guess, and, and became a discovered text or as you call it, you know, one of his lost books. Um, and yeah, if you can talk a little bit about the process of discovering and then we can talk more about kind of the content and as well, I'm, I'm just in general interested in learning more about Walter Rodney. I think everybody who listens to us is. So yeah, I'd love to talk more about that. Okay, well, it's a great, um, it's a great question. And I am not sure I'm confident in saying that I discovered it because I think people knew that it was around, but um, they didn't know that widely or exactly what the content was. And so to tell the, and it obviously wasn't published. So to tell the story briefly, I was um, working on uh, the book that's now out and I was in the Walter Rodney archives in Atlanta where all of his papers are. And I knew that this period in his life, um, so the late 1970s, a couple of years before he, he was murdered, he was a full-time revolutionary organizer for the Working People's Alliance in Guyana. Um, but he was also working as a, uh, a scholar, a researcher um, who was um, doing this incredibly valuable historical work and also taking um, lecturing jobs, um, teaching courses uh, uh, around the world, sometimes in the States, in this case, in, in Germany in 1978. So he, so I find in the archive this extraordinarily uh, rich, this treasury of um, material um, from the lecture series that he did, 100 years of um, African um, development in 1978 in Hamburg and couldn't believe how ex extraordinary it was. And of course, you know, that's, those are terms that you often use when you're, when you're reading Walter Rodney. You can't quite um, believe that you're dealing with someone writing um, 40, 45, 50 years ago, yet with such extraordinary urgency and, and so clear about um, contemporary developments. So I went through handwritten notes with the transcribed cassettes from the series, from the um, lectures that he gave to students um, in 78 and took um, incredibly hurried and excited notes. And as the lectures went on, he started dealing with more contemporary facts and um, developments. So cutting edge political economy about what was happening in the continent, the recolonization of the continent, the persistence of um, multinational capital. And, and then of course, the question of agency and politics. 
um, which I think are uh, handled in with such sophistication by Romney, but also with exciting political urgency. And he had left Tanzania in the in '74, and had been very active in political movements there, and had 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 the relationship with Nairi and the top-down project of socialism in Tanzania, which was very ambivalent, so critical. Um, but it was radicalizing through the 1970s, particularly in Guyana, and, and to some extent reinterpreting what had happened in Tanzania. So he, he writes powerfully about this wave of almost um, unspoken workers' struggle in in Tanzania in the early um, early 1970s, and how workers were putting themselves in the saddle of political control in their workplaces, taking charge for themselves, pushing out both the Tanzanian um, bosses and questioning the compromise that had been made with um, British and American capital at, around the time of independence. So this wave of worker-led struggles, which, um, which Rodney talked about in great detail in, in the book um, and, in the and in the lectures. So this was extremely exciting for me because of course it dovetailed with his work among the working class and the poor in Guyana at the time, as he's seeing increasingly that that agency of the poor in the political struggle in Guyana was absolutely central to a project for an alternative world that he was envisaging um, that could be created out of um, the political struggles and the social movements that were developing at the time. The, what was interesting about these lectures is that I, um, I was very um, keen to see how um, those ideas had developed in further lectures that he gave and um, um, political classes. And I spoke to some of the um, intellectuals who are still alive and activists who had invited him to Hamburg. And it was clear that they'd produced a, an honorary book essentially the book that i've written about in 1984 almost just a photocopied book which was a collection of the essays and the writings from um from his lecture series in 78 and then distributed in a very ad hoc way with an introduction and conclusion written by people who'd attended those those lectures and distributed to students to others sympathizers but never really published um, yet this seemed to me like the an incredibly vital piece of um, Rodney's work, his amazing um, um, his amazing legacy. And in reading for the first time that that photocopied book, which I got from um, these these comrades in um, in Hamburg, it was clear to me that some of the most exciting things, all of it hugely valuable and relevant, but some of the most exciting things that Rodney had written about the working class struggle and agency were not included in that book. Yet they were part and a key part or an important part of the conclusions that he was drawing at that time about Tanzania in the lecture series in 78, 
So a very curious political decision was made not to um, add that element, that working class element of um, agency and organizing, which had been so exciting when I'd read about it in um, Atlanta in 2018. And I, I'm curious about, you know, the topics that he does address. So he goes through, and just from reading uh, kind of like a, a synopsis that you you have of, of the text, like he takes on a lot of um, perhaps not agency, but authenticity is kind of one of the subjects that you discussed that he he's focused on. So he talks about the Zairianization process in, in Zaire under Mobutu. And then he also has a discussion of Frantz Fanon, which I thought was very interesting to see kind of his uh, like perspective on Fanon and to put those two thinkers into conversation with, was really interesting in the text. But I'm, I'm curious just maybe with that to begin with, like in, in the, the compiled lectures on the Russian Revolution too, and I, I noticed this in reading as well, like he's consistently very interested in talking about the two worldviews on the Russian Revolution. And I think in this, he takes that perspective of, of you know, taking those two worldviews, trying to create an African perspective and then kind of applies this method to African history itself. So like different worldviews on African history, you know, for example, you talked about he, they taking the two views on colonialism, the one presented by like Hugh Trevor Roper and the other presented as colonialism was kind of insignificant and he's creating his own kind of perspective. So maybe I guess that's where, where we can begin with discussing the text itself is like, how does he take this consistent effort to create a view from the third world or, or view from Africa itself and apply it to talking about, I guess, contemporary events in his time uh, before his assassination about Zairianization, his perspective on Fanon and, and other developments, as you said, of, of political economy he's commenting on? Yes, I think that's a good point and that he, the, the way to understand Rodney, in my opinion, is this man in this extraordinarily brilliant revolutionary in continual movement and intellectual development in relationship with the political struggles that are taking place around him, radicalizing with those and shifting as well with them. And if you take that approach, that dynamic approach of scholarship, which is at the heart of Rodney's um, work, then it makes sense of what he was trying to do in terms of that post-colonial historical um, picture that he paints so powerfully in, in, the, um, in that book. So he, he's unpicking the, 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 the independent settlement and it's a settlement which he was always critical of. And in a sense, he was the advanced guard, you know, and he writes about, he wrote about this and spoke about this in an interview in 70, 1975, you know, that he, that there were very few illusions about this flag independence as there were for a generation, partly because he, um, sorry, I think my um, power's suffering, partly because he um, had, he was positioned in South America with this incredible um, historical knowledge and background where countries had received independence, of course, you know, many years, decades in some cases before um, the African continent and how that independence had of course been um, broken, how 
the tentacles of colonial imperial control had continued. In that way, he shares an enormous amount with Fanon, actually, and learned a great deal and was a very profound reader of Fanon. Um, however, there were projects in that, in that post-independence emancipatory period in, um, in Africa, in Tanzania in particular, where he was very involved, where he was able to, to um, support various projects, which I think later in his life he became much more critical of. So um, he was clear about how there was a fake radicalism in um, Mobutu Zaire, and he unpicks that brilliantly, scathing, of course. And he's, they're almost warnings, you know, they're the warnings of a great teacher, but also of an activist, you know, so he's telling his students, you know, to be wary. This is what you face. This is what you have to understand. His understanding and reading of Fanon's The Wretched of the Earth is excellent. Um, and in it, however, there is a ambivalence about the, which is a key issue, an ambivalence about the, the use of the armed struggle. And he's, because he's such a close reader, better than, you know, many contemporaries of ours, of Fanon, he says, at a certain point, Fanon seems to be saying that the only real struggle is that, you know, that can dislodge colonial power properly, fully, thoroughly, is that, is that struggle that takes up arms. And in those cases in in Africa, particularly the Algerian struggle, but not only, um, where there's been a ferocious fight um, to um, dislodge that deep-rooted and racist col colonial past, um, do you have the possibility for real transformation? So, um, so Rodney's completely correct in identifying that as a key argument in, fa in Fanon. Um, and he, largely speaking, largely speaking, agrees with that. I would argue that that notion of the real struggle is slightly problematic, that it um, celebrated the peculiarities of armed struggle in a particular place for particular reasons, um, which we can be more critical about, which in fact other activists and revolutionaries at the time were. So the idea of the armed struggle as the real struggle is something that's still um, open for us to, to, to question. And what also is the role of that armed struggle with the mass movement? Do they play complementary roles? Do they work together or do they work against each other somehow? Is the emphasis on one exclusion of the other? It's clear in the, and I know this isn't exactly your question, but it's interesting to talk about, that I know that um, in, in Rodney's practice, his entire practice after 74, when he was a full-time organizer, of which we have a huge amount to learn, whether in the global north or the global south, um, his emphasis was on grassroots organizing from the bottom up. It was absolutely clear. Um, but there is that um, reading of Fanon, which um, I think in some ways is slight, slightly, prob 
slightly problematic. I wouldn't have dared say that if I was in the lecture in 1978, <laughs> because of course it's far better than any than my reading of of Fallon in many ways. But I do think that we it's necessary for us and actually only honest if we're able to raise tensions perhaps in revolutionary strategy and political struggle. Oh, that, that's great. And uh, I think I wanna kind of relate that to what I think is, is perhaps the most interesting part uh, of the text as, it, as it's been kind of like relayed, which is like, and consistently, I mean, he, you know, he's had this commentary on, on Ujamaa and on, on Tanzania and kind of how this is, is relevant you know, in, in reading his text on the Russian Revolution, just to bring it to connect there as well, he talks a lot about how his perspective on, on agriculture and the collectivization process in the Soviet Union, his conclusion is like, he understands why it was done, but he wants a peaceful transition to collectivization and development in Africa, or believes it's possible. And at the same time, he's commenting at this, like he's asserting this particularity, but at the same time, he's commenting quite frequently on the similarities of Tanzania as a semi-colonial and, and therefore, or as a colonial and feudal country with Russia under the czar, feudal, you know, composed of the peasantry, um, semi-colonial yeah. as well. So I'm, I'm curious about, you know, at the same time, like uh, with that, the context of, of that text or those lectures being from like, 1970, 1971, is that he was still somewhat favorable to Ujamaa at that time, from my understanding. Like he wrote about it and said it was scientific socialism rather than African socialism. But from, from this text, it seems like further towards the end, you know, you have a story of him telling a group of students only 10 years later, or I suppose this is from, from the 80s, right? This is from like before he was assassinated. So later in the 70s in that case. But, but further on saying it's not socialism at all, that he believes it, it's not. Uh, so yeah. I'm really curious about this evolution of thought on, on Ujiman in Rodney's yeah. perspective. And then, you know, how that relates to this, this contentious nature, like with Fanon itself, with, with Fanon himself, of he's criticizing this like revolutionary process and, and he's managed to go, it seemed of course like Rodney was, was kind of dealing with the evolution of his thought himself consistently but how he managed to go from in 1970 to later on and and really change his mind about about Ujamaa I'm curious about that yeah I, it's a, a great another great point I think you're completely right and I think that's what's so brilliant and exciting about Rodney that you know not that he's not this static communist party thinker with the one perspective that gets um, rehashed again and again and again, it's developing. And I think you're right in those amazing lectures that he prepared on the Russian Revolution, which has come out as the book, of course. Um, you can see him developing and this extraordinary generosity to all political traditions. He read everything, you know, anything he could lay his hands on to, even if it was from traditions which were quite alien to him or um, weren't his his own so you read you know and actually going into the archive you see this extraordinary reading list you know that were that that he prepared for his students so texts that I um, grew up in the in the Trotskyist tradition grew up reading including um, the great book by um, Tony Cliff State Capitalism in um, Russia 
which was very favorably read by Rodney. So this extraordinary generosity in terms of his his spirit of approaching history and this ability to self-criticize, you know, so to rehash. No sooner was a position made than, of course, he was re rethinking it. And that he welcomed, this is one of his most astonishing facts, he welcomed criticism from everyone, in particular his students. I mean, you know, and, you know, no distinction of, you know, hierarchy or age or, you know, tell me if I'm wrong. And they did. You know, and and um, and the debates that took place in Tanzania, and I think we have to really imagine, we have to, you know, in our in our um, hardened and neoliberal worlds that we live in, we live in, we have to imagine what it was like. You know, where everything was up for question in Tanzania, and um, the the state program of socialism, which was welcomed enthusiastically by everyone. Um, including for a time by Rodney, um, even if he was a critical, you know, a critical supporter of those of those projects, were rigorously challenged, particularly at the university, the Hill, in um, Dar es Salaam. So, so you get this sense of um, Rodney as a scholar and a researcher, you know, in in in, in, in astonishing movement, and that is um, um, and development always. And that doesn't mean that he didn't make positions very hard and fierce and make fierce arguments, which he of course did, but that he was what he was able to challenge, challenge that. Um, he's quite clear that there were some similarities which were particularly exciting for, and he says that, you know, he writes about that in, um, in Groundings with My Brothers, you know, that in the Russian Revolution, you know, there's sort of, um, the Russian Revolution, where these kind of honorary sort of global South um, revolutionaries to whom we, whose tradition and politics we have to welcome, understand, and that they shared some um, realities which we now face as political activists and revolutionaries on the continent, you know, te terribly small. And we, we, we can talk forever about how how distinct they were and how unique and Russian the development of capitalism was. But it's true, you know, that there was a tiny um, but um, very um, powerful working class concentrated in large work, um, workplaces and this, you know, this almost unchanged um, countryside with a huge um, peasantry, peasantry and um, small commodity producers quite um, recently out of um, out of Sefton. So these were, for the historian, these were really interesting facts which could be used to understand potential for organizing revolution and revolution. And the one glo successful global revolution, at least fought for with the intention to, to be global was that that revolution that took place in 1917 so it shows even the course itself and Rodney's willingness and excitement to teach it um, gives you some indication of you know where he was looking how broadly he was looking for um, you know history's lessons um, for um, for organizing strategy and politics in the present and open open to changes 
always open to change his own uh, pers uh, perspectives. Those sibilis, which of course should not exist for any any of us. Well, I'm I'm curious and perhaps connecting uh, this what you what you said about kind of reading, uh, you know, somewhat in the Trotskyist tradition and knowing that. Rodney came from his own intellectual background studying with C.L.R. James. When you were talking about state capitalism, immediately made me think of C.L.R. James, state capitalism, world revolution. And I wonder, you know, the conclusions, of course, Rodney didn't totally agree with his analysis of the Soviet Union in that. But at the same time, I think from, from reading your, your perspective on this text, he seems to come to a similar conclusion about Tanzania as C.L.R. James, you know, ultimately sort of concluded with the Soviet Union too is, and they're both kind of picking up on consistently on the theme of the decay of, of a revolution or the, uh, I don't know, the deterioration or, or kind of the, uh, the stagnation of it, I guess, is the, the proper way of saying it. They're both picking up on this. And so Rodney in, in this text is talking in, about the 1973 worker uprisings in Tanzania and how they were put down by uh, by the government with Julius Nyerere. And I wonder, you know, how to connect this with this theme that they're both picking up on of how revolutions stagnate, how they become entrenched and how they sort of lose their connection with the workers. Because this seems like a very relevant thing. Of course, he's talking about it with the Soviet Union and as well in, in his perspective on the Russian Revolution. But just in applying it to the third world and, and in Africa in particular, you know, it seems like he's very uh, prescient in, in picking up on the trend in post-revolutionary countries like South Africa um, and, and you know, other nations that have gone through some sort of semi-socialist process, but today have sort of reverted to neoliberalism. Uh, so yeah, I'm curious about you know, how, how his reflection seems to really accurately predict what's gonna happen in, in Angola, in South Africa, all over the African continent. And he got, I think that's right, and he got into terrible trouble, you know, in, I think it was 69, for a lecture that he delivered on, on Fanon um, to students um, in a public lecture in, um, at the university uh, in Tanzania, because he, he was um, outraged about the, the post-colonial settlement. And he, screamed, he was um, adamant um, that this, this was a betrayal, a failure, and um, made it very clear, causing one of many conflicts with Nairi and with the um, governing um, party, where he was you know, forced to apologize, but did so, of course, with his you know, astonishing sophistication, managing to make an argument and probably win it while making an apology. <laughs> um, I think that question which is one that revolutionaries um, still are confronted with, which, which Rodney dealt with, was how both do we sustain revolutionary dynamism and, and activism beyond the moment of initial, the initial seizure of state power, so beyond the insurrection, so, and how do we mobilize popular forces in a workable and sustainable way for a post-revolutionary or a revolutionary Guyana or, or Tanzania. And, and also the connected question of um, 
how do we prevent, which deals directly with your question, how do we prevent the stagnation or the degeneration of um, revolutionary politics when they initially seize um, power in a, and these were not abstract questions. These were immediate issues. The order of the day for Guyana in, in 78, 79, for example, and of course discussed you know, regularly on the continent. But how do we prevent the stagnation of that rev revolutionary um, victory um, when it's won in a single country? You know, so how does it, how does it, how does it hold on? How does it sustain itself? And these were questions which Rodney was particularly alive to, not least because of his study of the um, the Russian Revolution and its degeneration. And he was working; he was working them out. So there weren't ready answers to them, but he able he was able to pose questions about how um, real struggle can be a counter force to the flag independence and even the false projects of socialist um, um, revival on the continent that were, that were propagated by those from um, um, there's great um, leaders of African independence like um, Kwame Nkrumah and Nairi. So it's that kind of critical perspective, which is so exciting because out of that whole new emancipatory possibility, a rediscovery of um, a politics from below began to emerge in the hands of people, you know, as, as brilliant as Walter Rodney um, for charting that alternative that authentic what some people might describe as an authentic marxist tradition if you if you, if you like so um it was also a project i'd have to say that a perhaps more critical more self-critical clr james was undertaking more uh, more self-critical in the sense that often he wasn't but in terms of his support for kwam and krumah and the um the ghanaian revolution um, but that that question of popular struggle as a counter to those state um, initiatives, which were well welcomed almost universally um, and problematically um, among the left around the world in the in the sixties and seventies. Well, yeah, thanks so much, and I, I'm curious just about like you know, from, from reading this text and bringing it back, does it change perhaps the reading of Rodney that, that exists or that we should have? I mean, how does it modify that? And, and as you point out, it, it's a text that even a lot of people who like Rodney or have read Rodney or have read How Europe Underdeveloped Africa have not heard of and perhaps would change their perception of it if they had. So I wonder in, in, in reading it and in kind of bringing it out, you know, how do you think it modifies uh, or or adds on to our, our understanding of Rodney as a thinker, as a revolutionary? And maybe that's a way of talking about uh, your book as well on Rodney as a revolutionary thinker. You know, what is his significance, not just for, for Africa, but for uh, as a third world theorist as well? I think that 
you know, the ways that we have of understanding Rodney um, in some ways and in different political traditions and certain readings even of how Europe underdeveloped Africa have to be revisited because he's far more sophisticated and far more brilliant than those kind of hand-me-down stories that we hear about his work. Firstly, there's a, there's, a, there's a simple and vital job of discovery you know, that Rodney's work now, thanks to these fantastic republished um, um, books by um, Versa, but also all the other books of Rodney's um, that are come, beginning to come out, we have the chance to rediscover a, a revolutionary thinker. Um, I think it's very important that we tell the story of Walter Rodney, which is at, of a revolution, and no revolutionary is really made, of one being made in interaction with the environment and political involvement. And that was central to it, you know, that he derived energy and um, dynamic force and intellectual rigor through actual practice. And it's, you know, a, a sort of cliche on the left that we have to combine practice and theory. But of course, in Rodney, it was encapsulated brilliantly. And he was this remarkable um, historian who never missed a beat in terms of um, criticizing the ways that the continent was being written about. Um, and how that, and how in that writing, there was this, there, there was this, systematic effort to marginalize and exclude str struggle and and the way that we can understand his celebration of those strikes and protests and factory occupations in tanzania that we've been talking about is partly as you know by recognizing rodney the historian you know that we need to give voice and in his last great book on um um the the kind of history of Indian and African workers and the unity of those workers in Guyana, we see someone who paid extremely close attention to the development of class and working class unity as that class was developing in the 19th, late 19th century in, in Guyana and how unlike and history for political organizing really, but never sacrificing that, that historical detail and case study um, simply for a, um, a pamphlet or a, a political or a, a one-time political argument. And I, I wonder with that, I, I, I'm curious to perhaps uh, go beyond this and go to more contemporary politics on the African continent and perhaps apply, it, it's hard to necessarily like apply Rodney's views, but we were talking a little bit last time about, you know, potentially his views of, of some revolutions that have begun to lose popular support and lose connection with the people. You know, what do you think he would make of the state of socialism on the African continent today? And especially as we were talking about last time, his, he was sort of emerging with, towards the end of his life, I suppose, like a more overt criticism of, of Ujima, uh, criticism perhaps of, of, you know, this like localized African socialism. Instead, he believed it was no longer socialism in any capacity. And with that, I'm curious, just brought more broadly, what would he make of third world movements and movements in the global south today? I'm, so yeah, it's hard to speculate, but I wonder what you would 
think you would make of that? Well, I think it is. I think it is quite interesting to speculate. We can say certain things for sure. One that um, the decades that um, Walter Rodney was politically active, the sixties and seventies, were ones where it was relatively easy to have a conversation about socialism and Marxism on the continent, where regime after regime was declaring itself. Um, Marxists were supporting either the um, politics of the Soviet Union and was frequently um, distributing copies of Marx and Engels and Lenin and others to its militants, um, to students um, across, um, across its society. So that was the context. And a lot of, a lot of what Rodney fought against in in his time and in the debates that he had. And these were not uniform in any respect. These were furious debates within traditions and tendencies, you know, not just among the state socialists, but those who criticized the whole notion of state socialism. So one of the greatest hotbeds of this debate was in Dar es Salaam and particularly at the university. So it was a exciting time, not for its uniformity of Marxist thought, but exactly the debates and also the criticisms of the state form that emerged from those, um, from those countries that um, proclaimed themselves to be socialist or Marxist-Leninist. So, so then what you have is um, the huge crisis that takes place in the late 1970s with um, massive increase in commodity prices. The, the introduction in the late 1970s of which Walter Rodney criticizes in those Hamburg lectures that we discussed earlier, of the early structural adjustment programs, which as you know, um, bulldozed their way across the continent in the late 70s and 80s. And this triggered another set of protests, what was described as that first wave of anti-structural adjustment protests, huge working class and student-led movements of those who um, were fighting against the impact of World Bank and IMF reforms on the continent, which were pulling down that flimsy artifice of um, state reforms and subsidies of public health systems and education. And then, of course, at the end of the 80s and early 90s, you have the, the collapse of the Soviet bloc, which sent those movements which were escalating into ideological crisis. So although they were fighting again and again in the early 1990s against these, the devastation of these um, structural reforms, there wasn't, in a sense, an ideological vision or an organizational form in which those movements could take. And frequently they broke down, um, um, decayed, gave way as the left, the organized left around the continent and the world, as we know, also started to, to break apart. And what's particularly interesting to get to your question in particular about Walter Rodney is that he had already long before those, um, those huge geopolitical changes take, um, had taken place, had, had started to criticize what he could see was coming. So the role politically and economically, he saw 
the, the role of the West, the role that debt would be used in leveraging um, reforms um, on the continent against um, um, progressive or socialist um, change. And along with that, a politics that was rooted in that in the organization of working people. And key, crucial to this, as unpopular as it is to say it today, in fact, it was probably always unpopular from the day of the, from the days of the Bolsheviks in, in the um, early part of the 20th century. But Rodney understood the key role, the central role of ideological um, education, political struggle and organization. So in some ways, he would have been equipped both to chart the developments that were taking place in the 1980s and also how that great rage, which was boiling and boiling over frequently could be captured by political, radical political organization and wielded for progressive and socialist change. He, he, he was also um, and maintained a critical distance an increasingly critical distance from state socialist um, um, regimes, even though in How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, for example, there is praise for the Soviet Union. And he'd received, as you know, in the early 1960s scholarships to travel to um, 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 the Soviet Union when it was very difficult to, to travel. But that critical awareness, that thoroughness of reading and work and of Marxist um, organizing and activism at the bottom of society allowed him to navigate his way around those, um, those, those, those changes, charting his own path, which I think would have made, would have allowed him to emerge from the collapse of Stalinism in a way which many um, great, um, uh, radicals um, struggled to. So it, it, is, it is significant. The state of socialism, just quickly to return to the first point you made, the state of socialism on the continent today, it's um, movements are weak, parties are weak, but they exist. There are vibrant traditions of political debate that have survived from the 1960s and recall that, recall those movements, parties that um, Socialist parties very much in the model of um, the Working People Alliance on a much smaller scale and with a lower level of struggle exist in Nigeria, in Kenya, in Tanzania, in Zimbabwe, and in South Africa, of course. Fragmented, um, struggling still to cohere often, but radicalizing with um, and against this. Um, um, wave of, of um, privatization, state repression, of course, with um, comrades particularly in Kenya facing extraordinary, um, extraordinary battles, but doing um, admirable work, both historical and political in the day-to-day -day struggles that they face. And I, I guess my last question would be on the note of you know, like renewed discussion in the aftermath of Rodney's death ever since the early 2000s about uh, alternative developments in the global south. Um, what do you think 
the interpretation of Rodney has been for people thinking today about the questions of multipolarity, questions of alternative developments, of uh, anti-globalization initiatives. I, I guess a simple way would be, you know, what would Walter Rodney make of the uh, the Porto Alegre uh, movements and uh, the World Social Forum and kind of this emerging third world or global south consciousness that we've seen in the aftermath of, of the Cold War? Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. Um, and of course, that's what happened. So no, you know, no sooner, just to take us back to the previous question, no sooner do does the world in its political and ideological spokespeople declare the end of history with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc, then, then there's a, a riposte, a, a socialist or a social justice riposte in the late 1990s and early 2000s with exactly the things that you're describing. Popular movements from below often, and also models, real and concrete models, which are taken up by the anti-globalization. In fact, it, I remember it being called and I was very active at the time, the anti-capitalist movement of the early 2000s, a period of intense excitement about how, which you know, we could do with returning to, both to criticize, but also to look to, to learn from and to be inspired from, what, alter, what the alternative to capitalist globalization was, what it looked like, what its language was, what its organizations were. And, You've outlined some of that, some of that in Porto Alegro, in the um, social forums that um, took place on a world scale, and they were great meeting points of activists. And they, and there were a number of them in Africa. The most exciting, I think, was in Kenya in um, 2000 and Nairobi in 2007. And it was a great meeting point of mostly African activists from around the continent who could come together and discuss a grassroots pan-Africanism, a politics that had been trampled on and lost for a time under the impact of structural adjustment. And some of the great Marxists from Rodney's period, people like Issa Shivji um, and Sami Amin and others, very much comrades with Rodney, engaged themselves again in that movement very directly and in the debates that a new and young generation were having. And it was an extremely exciting time. And I think there's no question that Rodney would have intervened in that from the point of view of, and of course, in so many ways, he does intervene you know, because his work is still referenced and was of course then, but again, now more than ever, it seems, people are turning to the arguments that he made you know, on decolonization, on um, history, on, Black power. So, so that, you know, that debt to him, um, but also in, increasingly, I think, an acknowledgement of his politics and organizing is, is a, a place for a new generation to go. Well, thank you so much um, for that. I'll, I'll definitely let you run so you're not delayed at all. I just, I guess this is not necessarily part of a question or interrogation or anything, but I will say I'm a huge fan of the review of African political economy. I read it as often as I can um, to follow what's going on. So thank you for that's, that. That's that, that comrade. That's music to my ears because that's 
that's my day job. Yeah. <laughs> In my real it's really excellent. It's, it's a fantastic uh, way to kind of follow what's going on um, from, from a good perspective on, on the African continent. So I've started reading and become a big fan of it. Um, that's brilliant. So really well, you must, you must, you must also um, write for us. So if there's something that you, you've read that you think our, our readers need to um, read and study again, if there's an argument that needs to be made, if there's an intervention in a debate, then we thrive on that sort of um, community. Excellent. Well, I'd, I would love to contribute. So perhaps I'll, I'll continue the conversation with you after, uh, after this. And I have you on WhatsApp, so I'll continue speaking with you. Brilliant. Excellent. Great. Well, thanks for setting this up. Of course. Thank you. Take care. Cheers, comrade. Bye.